All right, everybody. It's that time again. It's Tuesday. Right on time as usual. We're back at it again. Uh, we're going to get in it. I am your host, Deontay. And I'm Shakima. And we are the Dunlabs. The Dunlabs. Yes, we are. And we are about to get into it, get into some creativity, talk about some something to get the mind going, get the juices flowing. Um, so you want to kick us off today with um, Today in History? Yeah, so today I actually have two. So um, the first one comes from our traditional, um, the Equal Justice Initiative um, history of racial injustice calendar. And so today in 1834, the Alabama legislature banned free black people from living in the state. So on January 17th, 1834, the Alabama state legislature passed Act 44 as a part of a series of increasingly restrictive laws governing the behavior of free and enslaved Black people, which prohibited Black people from being freed within the state and authorized re-enslavement of any free Black person who entered the state. Let's pause for a second. Just let that, like, marinate. In the immediate aftermath of the infamous Nat Turner Slave Rebellion in Virginia, Alabama passed a statute in 1833 that made it unlawful for free Black people to settle in Alabama. That statute provided that free Black people found in Alabama would be given 30 days to vacate the state. After 30 days, they could be subject to a penalty of 39 lashes and receive an additional 20-day period to leave the state. After that period had expired, the free person could be sold back into slavery with proceeds of the sale going to the state and those who participated in apprehending him or her. In 1834, Act 44, which is what we're talking about today, expanded on this legislation by specifying a series of procedures that had to be followed for an enslaved Black person to be free within the state. For one, the law required that emancipation of an enslaved person could only take effect outside of Alabama's borders. Further, if an emancipated Black person returned to Alabama after being freed, he or she could be lawfully captured and sold back into slavery. In fact, Act 44 requires sheriffs and other law enforcement officers to actively attempt to apprehend freedmen and free women who entered Alabama for any reason, rendering all free Black people within the state vulnerable to kidnapping and enslavement with no legal protection. And that was Today in History, January 17th, 1834. Man, listen, this is the uh, state's rights, right? Yep. You are right next, right next door, and the rules completely changed. Not just slightly changed, but completely changed. That is abysmal, you know, to say the least, you know, um, to be in a neighboring state and you just so happen to be passing through and you got the right to travel, but... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Not through certain parts. Yes. Like you um, can be pregnant in America, but don't come to Texas while you're pregnant. Cause like, hey, I mean, <laughs> just skirt around Texas if you can. But yeah, so that was the first one. And then the second one, um, I want to talk about today in history in 1961. And that marked the assassination of um the Belgium, well, the Congo, the Demo Democratic Republic of Congo president, um, Patrice Lumumba. And so y'all. The, the U.S. government sanctioned that assassination. So the president at the time, actually Roosevelt, I think it was, let me see who it was, no, Eisenhower. Eisenhower had given the CIA authority to assassinate him, just take him out, right? But then Dulles, who that Washington, D.C. airport is named after, Dulles, who was the CIA, I guess, leader at the time, thought that's probably not a good look for us. So let's figure out a way to get him arrested and then we can have him executed in his own country. And so that is what happened to him. And um, he was about the liberation movement in Africa. He wanted Africa for Africans. And he, he was really Pan-Africanist. And he was really trying to change the game. Y'all know the Congo suffered a lot under King Leopold and Belgium. And so just what a year ago, June 21st of last year, they said they didn't have any of his body parts, right? Because they said that they assassinated him and they put him in acid. That's what they told everybody. So like nobody was ever found. But Belgian leadership just returned one of his teeth to his children last year. They were like, sorry, we don't know what your daddy is, but here's a tooth. So who had the tooth? Who like kept a tooth? 
the right. questions, the the burning questions. And they gave them people a tooth and said, "Here, here's the remains of your dad that we've been holding on to for since 1961. And so, wow. yeah. So that was today in 1961. And many historians have called Lumumba's assassination the most important assassination of the 20th century. So that's huge. That is massive. So that was today in history. Wow. Well, um, <laughs> that's a really, um, both of those facts, factors are pretty sobering. Um, I, I, I'm not even, wow. So what you got for technology? Let me just hype it up. Bam. Bam. Let's go Let's technology. Do. I have three of them, actually. Okay. Um, okay. These, are, these are actually pretty interesting. Now, is this um, nerd stuff? Is this stuff that I'm going to be like, what is it? Like, I can probably spell no. it, but I probably don't know what it is. Maybe one of them. Oh, okay. Stop it. <laughs> one of them. Um, okay. So the first one, um, this was um, January 17th, 1984. Okay. Um, the Supreme Court rules on home VCR recordings. This changed. Y'all, the game. Do y'all know what VCRs are? The guests? Yeah. Okay. Just checking because I don't yes, know if I do. saw one. Actually, <laughs> saw one in your lifetime. We used to have that um, little thing to rewind the tapes. Yeah. Yes. Be kind, rewind. <laughs> That's it. All right. So today in 1984, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled five to four that private use of home VCRs to tape TV programs for later viewing does not violate federal copyright laws. This ruling opens the floodgates for VCR sales, changing the landscapes. It's changing the landscape of TV watching forever. That changed the game. So the so that so way it was you legal at one point to like record the stuff off the TV. Yeah, apparently. I know we black. We did it anyway. Like I don't. <laughs> apparently, but the, the the Supreme Court ruled um, in 1984 that for private use you just couldn't. So I, I you you just couldn't sell it. You could you could do it for your you could do it for your private use. You just I guess it was people out there the 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 um the bootleggers the bootleggers. That's what I was about oh. to say. The um the rise of the bootleggers. You know, uh, record a program, and you can wow. easily distribute it. Um, but in 1984, the Supreme Rule, the Supreme Court ruled that you could you can record it. You know, for your private use. Um, I can't believe that I went all the way to the Supreme Court like that. I feel like that was such a waste of energy. Like, well, when you when you're talking about copyright law, I guess you know, that that's a broad. I mean, we're we're a we're a country. No, we're like all about media. Sense. Yeah, let me be yeah. quiet because yeah. Randy, you know what? You have copyrights <laughs> on your stuff. Right, yeah. so let me be quiet because right. I might I, I'm gonna be. Respectful. I have a whole. Um, I just got a whole agency okay. for my photos okay. just be sold. Yeah, yep. so I'm gonna be respectful. <laughs> yeah, protect that copyright. You bootleg you know. your art. Um, and that way, you know, that way artists can artists and creators, and you know, but back, you know, could could get, you know, that's what set the table for what we have today. You know, yeah. it's where you you can't pirate people's stuff. You know, um, so that that was a big one. Um, that was pretty good. Yeah, it was a good one. Okay. Um, so today in 96, um, computer is used in the discovery of new planets. Uh, Paul Butler and Jeffrey Marcy announced to the Mer- announced to the astronomical astronomical society that they had discovered two new planets using an unconventional computer technique to analyze the movement of the stars since that time thanks in part to their use of computer technology butler and marcy have become known as the world's most successful planet hunters so they were they used computers to discover new planets that was interesting and that was in 96 1996 i feel like what took them so long? Like, I don't know. Like, computers were around. The, I don't I don't know. Well, you know, it's stretching the brain to think outside of what computers are for, thinking about them beyond just, you know, um, crunching massive numbers yeah. and processing data, but to actually, you know, you know, you know, actually expand the capabilities that computers that what, what, cap- what computers are actually able able to do. Um, it just astounds me that that was that it took them so long because 96 seems well, I mean, okay, go ahead. Go ahead, do your next one. <laughs> and last but not least, uh, January 17th, 1998. This one is interesting. Um, Matt Drudge, uh, the Drudge Report legitimizes internet reporting. Matt Drudge breaks the story of the Bill Clinton Monica, Monica Lewinsky affair on his website, the Drudge Report. 
This incident brought to the limelight the emerging internet news industry. Almost overnight, it seems, traditional news, be traditional news media, especially newspapers, began to lose ground to internet news sources. So now we got the shade room. Now we got everything. Ice that, cream conversations. That's how I know about Antonio Brown today. <laughs> That was that. That's where that, that's where the the that's when the I guess you can call it. I I, I shudder to use this word. This when the tea started being spilled on the internet. Yeah. And, um, wow. Yeah. Monica Lewinsky and y'all were born. We got up to the time when y'all were born. Wow. Today, Monica Lewinsky. Y'all don't even know about Monica Lewinsky, do y'all? Do y'all remember that? Yeah, Bill Clinton cheat with her, with her. Yes, <laughs> I did not say that one. No, no, yes, he, that's what he said. That's what that he said. I did not have year. relations or whatever with he that, said with that woman. Right, that woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So today, I'm so glad to have y'all here. So we have my sons, one bio, one just by heart. We have Malik Holmes and we have Randy Tran. So I want to I want to just give y'all a moment to introduce yourselves and you know which one of y'all wants to go first. I like Malik go first. <laughs> I was about to say, oh, oh man. Um, first, first of all, it is I'm very happy to be here. It's an honor to be on the show. I'm really happy for it. Um, like Mama Dunlap said, my name is Malik. I am a musician, a writer. Uh, fun fact, I play, as of right now, eight musical instruments, um, and I'm currently a student at Atlanta Metropolitan State College, graduating class 2023, come May, so really excited about wow. that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah Congratulations. So, uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and, that, and that's obviously my bio son. <laughs> <laughs> all right son of my heart randy uh my name's randy um i'm a photographer i currently live in los angeles i do fashion beauty commercial work and also um shoot a lot of celebrities here and there um but yeah photographer uh not a starving artist anymore so it's great look at god <laughs> yes yeah I'm like working on things. It's okay to name drop, Randy. Can you tell us like some of the magazines? Because I share your stuff on my page whenever I see it. But like, tell us some of the magazines you've had either covers for. Um, so far, I've shot for Cosmo. I've worked for Harper's Bazaar. Um, I do work with L Vietnam, L magazine in Vietnam. So it's really great. I've um, also worked with some indie magazines in London. Um, they're pretty big in the fashion industry. So it's been great. Uh, celebrities I work with, I've shot um, Kris Jenner of the Kardashians, uh, met like a couple, actually almost all of the Kardashians. And then um, I, when I was assisting, we did work with like Kiki Palmer and a couple other ones, but specifically myself, I work with like Hailey Kiyoko personally and for Cosmo and a couple other um, celebrities. Since I live in LA, it's much easier access to working with them because they always need photos. I've also worked with Ashanti. Uh, there's there's not, honestly a, a list. A lot. But yeah. 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 But those are the few that I've worked with so far. That is yeah. cool. And I just want to say that I remember you walking around high school with your camera. And I don't know yeah. if you knew, <laughs> like you were going to, you know, it, actually do it but i just remember you know one day you saying i'm moving to la yeah i'm just gonna try it i'm just gonna move to la and the courage that it took for you to do that and now look at you i'm so proud man i just remember you and oh my god you were just like are you sure <laughs> everyone was questioning uh, and miss floyd too miss floyd's like are you sure? <laughs> now you know you were Miss Floyd's baby. Oh, so yeah. Miss Floyd just wanted to make sure she wasn't gonna have to send groceries every month. That's what that was. Oh, like yeah. Miss Floyd was gonna take care of some Randy. Yes. Mm -hmm. She really was. I mean, even when she visits here, I drive like no matter, I like take the day off and I drive to her. Um, picked her up before she's gone here for like a couple of times already. And it's so fun. And I really enjoy it when she comes out here. Um, but that that was like the biggest thing that you guys are like, are you, are you sure? And then 
because uh, the biggest thing was like I'm still in high school yep. I wasn't finished with the whole senior year yet it was just like the last semester left and you guys are like wait slow it down and like rethink about it but I was like no no no, no. I'm going like you know I want in-state tuition and I want to like do college over here and you know I just ended up the way it should have been when I just think it was the right move and how like I got here well I'm proud of you and also shout out Thank to Miss Floyd Janique Floyd Sara we just celebrated our founders day yesterday so C5 to you sis all right <laughs> so let's get into it okay um we're going to talk about ikigai tonight. And that is a Japanese concept that kind of talks about like, what is your purpose? Like, why are you here? And it is that sweet spot between, you know, what you think you were born to do, what you love to do, what does the world need from you? And what can you also get paid to do? Because like, your purpose is supposed to provide for you as well. So it's, it's cool to be good at something. But like, when it's the sweet spot, your ikigai, that means that you also can earn some coins for doing that and so let's talk about that like how did you I don't know like I'm thinking about like Randy what age were you when you knew you wanted to be a photographer Emily how old were you when the music bug hit you um first Randy <laughs> I can go first this time um so I think like the whole idea of just being in the art world has always been with me um but pursuing it as a job was like not what I really thought I was going to be doing as a photographer um from eighth grade all right my teachers already set me up for like um the idea of college so we were me I actually went to middle school with Milani we went on a college tour to Auburn State Georgia State a whole bunch of colleges and that's what really piqued my mind into um going to school and getting an agree to work um but it was never like a business or marketing like degree but it was like i'm gonna go to either arts institute or some art school to do graphic design that was like my thought in my head but there was this back end of me doing photography already i never thought it was gonna develop or like evolve into what I'm here now you know by high school what really got me into it more was doing um senior portraits and prom photos a lot of and I think some kids some of your students were um the ones I was taking photos of too so I mean getting paid for it was just like oh what like well, that's crazy so it peaks at another interest so Coming from there, that's when it start all started. I mean, I was taking photos for Tumblr. I was I was an internet kid. Um, Tumblr, social media, MySpace, like those were the things I was photographing for. Like that's where I was presenting work. And then on top of that, with even going into your class, um, doing the blogs and stuff, I was like, oh, this is second nature to me. This is easy. So like, I felt like that's when it all developed. That definitely in my high school years. Um, I never thought like because I didn't go to call I didn't I ended up not finishing college my first semester it wasn't for me I found a mentor and that was it but I felt like my high school was when I like really seek what my career was going to be in my life and so that was the great part um other than that I think that's when it peaked for me like this is going to be my job yeah sometimes you know yeah yeah but that was the thing our school was a magnet school nonetheless that's true so everyone was talented in either way it's, it's like these ap students were already good in like academic wise but everyone was seeking their talents and that was like what was really interesting to see everyone come out of like our high school our year which was great and then um yeah like G. Andrea was like singing and doing all that stuff. And then a couple other students, they were just stacked upon talents. That's what I was like seeing when I was going to school. So it's great to be in a community with that. Just everybody in the arts is just like, it's motivational or inspirational as well. Cause everybody was like building upon each other's energy. Yeah. 
That's cool. Yeah, well, it's like going to fame in Mount Zion. Everybody was either a dancer or a singer mm -hmm. or um, a musician or an actor. They're, like we had creative arts in the magnet program, visual arts. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was kind of like fame. That was cool to be y'all's teacher in that space too. Malik? Oh, man. Um, I would say for me, the bug hit. This was over, this was over a couple of months. So it was like the end of my seventh grade year going to the very beginning of my eighth grade year in, in uh, Riverdale Middle. And before I continue with the story, huge, huge shout out to Mr. Sharp. He is amazing. Like he is like one of the, one of the greatest people that I've ever met in my life. He is such a, he's still to this day, a very huge influence on me. Um, but I think it was around either January or February of seventh grade going into um, large group evaluation. And I remember I was playing a part on a clarinet that I didn't like. I was playing the third part um, and I didn't like it. So I went up to, I went up to Mr. Sharp and I said, I don't like playing third. <laughs> and then he, he told me, he was like, why? I was like, well, the parts are too low. I feel like I, I feel like I should be playing first. How bold of me, right? <laughs> but but he, he told me, he said, well, if you go in the practice room and, uh, you know, record yourself playing with the smart music software, because with that, you know, you, you have playback of the actual music and then you have a mic recorded to you. So that way they score you based on how, you know, they give you a score. He said, if you get an 80, he said, if you get an 85, or I think it was an 80, on all three songs, on that moment, that's when I will move you to first for performance evaluation. And I spent so many hours, like it was almost like for a week straight, I was in that band room till almost six o'clock <laughs> and six o'clock in the evening. He was there the whole time, you know, through all of my you know, frustrations and everything in between, like days I was happy about it. And other days I was so mad, I wanted to throw something and he was, you know, there impatient with me. And I ended up getting, you know, the first part, which, you know, which is cool. You know, I was happy about it because I thought that's all I really wanted. But then going into, going into eighth grade year where, you know, this is my second year in the, in the symphonic band, uh, the more experienced band, and I look at the seating chart on the very first day of school and I am the first chair in my section. When that happened, I, I was like, I don't know what, like something just like took over me that day. I was, I was running around the band room. I was doing like flips in the hallway. I was just like, oh my gosh. And then I asked him, I said, um, I said, Mr. Sharp, I think it was like that afternoon or that same morning. I don't remember, but I, I went up and I said, Mr. Sharp, why did you, you know, give me, you know, like, well, how did I get first chair? And he told me that it was because of those moments in the previous year when I was staying in that practice room and I was constantly going at it, like, regardless of what score I got, whether high, even if it was a high score, I could have, when I could have sat with the 80, I kept going for the 100 and I ended up getting 100% on those songs. So I completely mastered those songs. So it, it showed him that this is someone who, who can lead a section or someone who could possibly lead. And around that time also was when I first got my, you know, a little, my first taste of conducting. Cause he just like gave me the, like, <laughs> like he just gave me the, uh, gave me the baton and just at random one night and it was like, Oh yeah. So and he told the audience, like, we have a student that's going to conduct. And I'm looking like, oh, who's going to do it? I'm excited. He looked at me, gave me the, and I was just like, wait a minute now. This, this, you wrong for that. I remember that. But, I, I recorded it. I still have it if anybody yeah. wants a little <laughs> but, but even though it's my first time doing it, it was at, like, I, I felt, I felt at home there. You know, I, I felt like even though it's my first time, it, it felt like something I was doing, I did a thousand times already even though, you know, I was kind of scared out of my mind, like these people looking at me. But I would say like those few months from the end of my seventh grade to like the, you know, the first couple of months of my eighth grade year, that's when at that point I was like, yeah, th this is it. <laughs> like, this is what, this is what I'm here to do. And you can't tell me otherwise. 
I love that. And I do remember I was I was there. I remember all the late nights. I remember you practicing when everybody else was playing video games or, you know, finding other things to do. Like you were always with that instrument. I remember you, um, you know, always striving for like honor band for to go to like state level. You know, you were like one of the only ones in Clayton County who was but you were constantly striving like to be the very best and when you became the drum major in high school and then when you became the drum major in college like I I, I knew yeah. because you, I don't know if I've ever told you the story but when you were um when you were a baby um you were at Miss Daisy's daycare at God's Little Angels and she had a piano in there that she would play for y'all sometimes and as soon as you started to walk you went and crawled up in on the stool for the piano and you just put your hands there like you knew and you were moving your fingers like you could play and you had never done, you had never had a piano. So you always had that, that musical inclination, right? You've always mm-hmm. had that. Um, and so to see you, you know, now finally, um, I think you always knew you were good at it, but I think now you're finally starting to embrace like what you're supposed to do with the world for the world with that yeah. gift and not just like, I just, I'm just good. Cause I want to be good or I'm good because I want to, you know, be better than other people. Now you're finally starting to see like, this is my gift to the world. It's just, it's not just God's gift to me, but this is my gift to the world. And so that, that shift between, you know, this is cool. Like I can do this to like, look at all the people I'm going to help as a result. Like Randy, I watch your community and like how everybody just celebrates you. I'm like, that is so cool. Like, I know I'm a first generation college graduate. Dunlap, are you the first generation college graduate? Like, no. Okay. And so like, for me, it just feels like, you know, carrying my community on my shoulders, carrying my family on my shoulders, you know? And so I watched that and I hope that you guys see that like your gifts are for everybody, you know, like we get to watch this thing with you. We get to celebrate with you. And um, I'm just proud of both of you for figuring out like who you are, what you're supposed to be doing it doesn't matter how slow you start it doesn't matter how long it takes what matters is that you get there like that's the important part so yeah and you know one thing I enjoyed about you know listening to both of your stories is both of you tell two different aspects of the talent spectrum you have you know you sometimes you just know Mm -hmm. and sometimes you know through grinding sometimes you'll kind of get in the lab and you're like wait a minute I, you know, is this isn't work. I enjoy this. And you find you have a knack for something. So it's interesting listening to your stories because um, you both tell, like I said, two different ends of, the, of that talent spectrum. You both have it. But one of you, you know, it's like one of you kind of was already dabbling. The other one was kind of in the discovery phase. And you really, you know, um, knew what you, you know, you kind of grew your way into it. And it became, kind of was a, a shoe that was, you know, that was too big and you kind of grew into it. So um, I think it's really interesting. I thought it was a really cool tale because um, I've had, you know, as somebody who's dabbled in both areas that you guys are talented in, you know, I've done my, sh- I've done some photography, some graphic design and, you know, I've dabbled in music too. And I understand that both of them, you know, requires either, you know, some sense of self and some sense of grind. You got to be, you got to be in on both aspects. You got to be willing to practice your craft um, and not only practice your craft, but practice your craft in front of a group, in, in front of a consumer group, you know, who yeah. will instantly give you approval or disapproval of what you're doing. So I, I salute both of y'all um, because it takes courage. <laughs> it takes courage to, um, you know, to, to, to put your heart out there uh, for the world to judge. So um, absolutely. Ikigai. Yeah. And I just want to say, you know, like that when you are in your purpose, you there will definitely be provision. But I but I don't want to um, misconstrue. I don't want to misrepresent that your purpose is tied to your career. It really doesn't have to be right. Like sometimes we do what we have to do to make a living or, you know, sometimes we come from backgrounds that really don't support our dreams. Like we come from families that are like, no, you should just be a doctor. Who cares if you want to be a painter, you know? And so all those types of things. And so like, whatever your purpose is, it may or may not be your career. 
my, I feel like my purpose is to educate, but that doesn't mean I have to be a classroom teacher to do that. I feel like no matter what space you put me in, I'm going to slip into teacher mode, educator mode. Like that's just my purpose, but I don't have to be in a classroom to do that. I don't have to be in a pulpit to do that. I don't, I can be anywhere. And it's, that's just how I move in this world. That's how I show up, you know, and that's how my gift manifests. And so I want you to begin to think about like, you know, those of you who are listening, not only like what what is it that you feel like you were born to do right like what is it that you feel like you could do you know every day for the rest of your life whether you know resources were provided or not right and sometimes you know for like us on in the western world we think if it don't make dollars it don't make sense right but that's not necessarily true and i think a lot of the issues that we have in our society are because people are in the wrong place like if everybody had an opportunity to do and be what they were put here to do and to be, that will resolve a lot of the issues we have. But you got people who are miserable. They just want to make a lot of money. Or you have people who have tremendous, you know, creative gifts, but they've been shamed from their family or their peers or whatever. And so now they're just like, I'm not getting up in front of people singing again because I didn't get the applause I was expecting. And so now like have a soul wound and I don't want to sing in front of people ever again, you know? There are way better singers in church than are on a lot of the songs on the radio, you know? So that's just something to think about as you think about how to find your own ikigai. And I was thinking about that too um, a little bit because I know it didn't really dawn on me much like what exactly I was going to do with music until I became drum major at Tri-Cities. Because at first, you know, you know, you're making the honor bands and district, you're doing these all state things. Um, you're spending like a week or so at UGA as far as their little festival and stuff. But for the most part, like me and my music was, was not really, it wasn't really just about the music. It was just kind of me wanting to be, me wanting to be the best and whatever comes with this just for me. So I wanted to just be, I wanted to be a professional musician. I still do. But in the context, it was kind of just more so like I'm out there on the stage, you know, single spotlight for the most part. And then you just see me in all of my greatness, I guess. But I, I like to I compare it to a bit to in the uh, in the book of John, when uh, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? He says, yes. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. And I think about all the times where I was thinking about, yeah, like going for individual greatness. But every time when I least expected it, somebody told me to conduct this or to watch over these people or to organize this for this group of people. And I was wondering, like, why am I doing I don't want to do this. I hate it. <laughs> you know, I'm good at it, but I don't want to like, what about me? Like, I don't want to be looking after uh, these people. I don't want to conduct. I want to just be that, that guy in the front. But then it, it made more sense. Um, a couple months ago, I was at a career fair at um, Atlanta Metro had a career fair and they had some representatives for Clayton County public schools. And I had no idea what they were doing up here, but when they found out about who I was and what I did, and they emphasized to me how much like they're in need of instructors, instructors for their music programs, especially since as, as they're cutting the funding, the teachers are leaving. And also as teachers are leaving, they're also cutting even more funding for the program. So they need more teachers in Clayton County to further incentivize the department um, to send more funds for the music programs. So at that moment, I thought to myself, well, I can always go on any kind of stage and perform whatever, you know, jazz, reggae, whatever, whenever I feel like it. But what good is that if I come back and I come back home and then I see that there are so many kids who have that same, that had that same drive to be more than their current circumstance, just like how I did in middle school, and yet there's no one there to help get them to that level. It, at, at, some, at some point, it just, it becomes pointless. Yeah, your gift isn't just for you. It's, it, it's given to you to express to the world. It's given to you to produce something, to make something of, you know, to make more. That's why, you know, be fruitful and multiply. You know, that's just not making more people. That's 
you know, uh, building others and, and stealing and others, the, you know, helping them grow what's great within themselves, you know, um, that's, that's, that's what, you know, we should always inspire each other. And, and I think that's part of what the gift, what, what our gifts do is to inspire. And that's why it's in, you know, to inspire us to bring out the best within ourselves. And, um, and, and, and I like what you were saying, you know, um, as far as, you know, not just no longer doing it for you, you know, move evolving past, you know, it just being for you, but thinking more, how can I be of service? How can I give back to the world? How can I give of myself? And what you learn is the more you give, the more you receive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that we learn in uh, Muay Thai, one of the things coaches often teach you is to get stronger. You have to give the strength that you have, meaning you have to train hard to get stronger. You cannot expect, you know, it's like the, 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 the parallel about pouring into a full cup. You know, you cannot continue to pour into a full cup and, this, and expect increase in that cup. You have to empty that cup and allow that cup to be replenished. And, um, and you know, and that comes through giving. You know, you give, you empty your cup, you give. And in turn, you know, whether it's through, you know, um, connections, you know, at, you know um, gratitude or whatever the case may be, you get poured back into, you know, whether it's financial, spiritual, um, relational um you get that back in whatever um in, in whatever proportion that you gave so um I'm, I'm happy to see that you, you i'm happy to see that things are coming full circle for you like that and you're seeing your value you know um in terms of what you can give to the world because that's a that's a different you step out you show up different when you know you have something to offer so so i have a um it's kind of a petty question, messy, little shade roomish. So, Randy, <laughs> tell us the most, I don't know, tell us the most rewarding thing about photography and then tell us the most challenging thing. Like, you don't have to tell us who the worst person was to photograph, but like, tell us the most challenging thing. Um, I could say that, what's it called? You know, um, to piggyback on like Ikigai, it's you're working because you're passionate about it and it's something that you're good at and what you love. So um, even to get to the point of like, yeah, I moved here. I worked three jobs, actually, two other jobs before I even became uh, just a freelancer as a photographer. I went through a lot of phases and, you know, you really have to have thick skin to be in a creative field. Um, no matter how hard it gets, you have to keep persevering to get where you really want to make money out of the thing that you love. Um, so having no, when I first moved here, I had no car. Um, I was taking the bus everywhere or either I walked everywhere. Um, the train also to L.A., to get to my mentor or have her pick me up. There was no Uber. Uber wasn't like a thing yet. Um, money was like a big problem. I didn't, I had a part-time job, but it was so part-time that I didn't really pay anything. Um, luckily rent was covered from my mom. Um, so like going through those phases is like growing to work other jobs just to pursue your like happiness job is like, the hard thing but you know at the end of it you'll be working your passion um now that i'm in it like the hardest part is just like not even dealing with the client but finding the client finding the people that you want to work with or find the team that you want to work with um because i work in like fashion beauty and commercial there's a lot of people that you need to network with the hardest part if you're a introvert person, it's going to be a hard job for you to go out and like network. Networking is such a big, big thing when it comes to working these creative jobs, because you're getting your name out there. You're putting yourself forward. I have to cold email clients. And sometimes there's a lot of no's before you get a yes. So um, that happens a lot. And then um, I also worked in-house before, which is like working within the company. And that was like a struggle because you're working under someone that's like 
taking all your creative ideas, whether um, it's a small company. If it's a small company, then they don't have a person directing the art. So someone, um, you have to take the step forward and put on another hat and do that for them. Or um, it's basically wearing, doing more jobs than your own job title. And that happens a lot if you work for a small company or like a startup. Um, so that happened to me and then I just got tired. But going full freelance is just like, the hardest part is like battling yourself with identity crisis. Um, what's the other one? Where it's like, you think you're a fraud sometimes. Imposter syndrome. Imposter yes. syndrome. There you go. So you as a creative, I feel like that happens even more often than any other like jobs because at the end of the day is what you're putting forward as an artist too. So um, finding that balance is like crazy. Um, it happened, I happened to find my balance within the last couple of years because I was going through, um, it's not midlife, it's quarter life crisis. I turned 25. I was like, wait, I didn't get to do X, Y, and Z. I didn't accomplish X, Y, and Z. I'm not in like Vogue. I'm not in, I'm not booking the jobs I want to book, like big clients. And um, that happens a lot. So it's a lot of mental breaks that you need to take and not giving a fuck and just know things will take time. Um, I think that's a one thing that people miss on like becoming the person that you want to be is things take time um, because we want it so much and we want it faster. And we're so I'm used to like a fast paced thing, especially in LA. It's not the same if I was in Atlanta as like, it's a little bit slower, but LA and then I work also in New York sometimes. Um, and it's just faster pace. And so you have to, adjust and adjust adjust you see new things you have to adjust to that so um, i'm always on my toes so um getting that mental break is like really what you need i think to answer your question like the hardest part about working in a field like this is like mental stuff it's just like taking your breaks figuring out what's what make a five-year plan or make your plans like just as easy clients it's like you better have communication skills or find the clients that actually want you. Um, Cause at the end of the day, it's like, I can shoot anything I want, but what am I shooting for? And um, I've talked to agents. So there's talent agents too in my industry where they like sign you and they help you book jobs. So finding that agent that's going to trust you and do other things as well. is like one of the big part of my job and, it's just a crazy world that I, um, industry that I work in because there's so many like tears to it, especially coming from a background with not knowing anyone from LA or not having money. I'm not one of those kids that grew up with money to have network already based for me because a lot of LA people that actually like grew up here and are working, they have a network of people that they like grew up with. And like, you're gonna find a lot of that um, course in this industry, whether it's music or photography or fashion, it's just like, who do you know? And it's status quo, especially in this industry too. Yeah. Well, one thing I'll say is that, you know, um, I know, you know, you mentioned a lot of things about, you know, um, a lot of things about being patient, persistent, mm -hmm. having thick skin, you know, one thing I'll tell you is that it's not just your industry. You know, I've been working right. for this. I've been working for the same place for a long time. And everything that you mentioned, I have contended with at one time or another within my career. The imposter syndrome, being patient yeah. when you're in, when you're in, a, um, when you're in a, when you've kind of plateaued where you are. Um, who do you need to talk to? Who to know? Who to, you know, which people to know, which people to avoid? Um, so it's. It's not uh, everything you mentioned. Uh, I'm like, yeah, I, I've, I've gone through that because I work in IT. I work in tech. And right. a lot of times I'm in the room with a lot of big brains. And sometimes mm -hmm. I feel like I'm the imposter. I feel like I don't know. Um, but yeah. I also know that I didn't I, I know I didn't get here by accident. I also right. know that I've earned my stripes to be where I am. And every and even if I'm the newest person in the room, somebody else in that room, they were the new person, too. And they grew yeah. to where they are. So that's one thing that keeps me 
engaged. And it's crazy when you're the new person in the room, there's someone that's going to be very defensive and alert about you. Yep. Yep. Because you, you're, you're the, you're the, you're the potential threat. Um, right. Cause there's something about being a new person that's tokenized. And mm-hmm. when you're no longer the new person, you know, you're then that, then there's expectation. You don't get that, um, that the new person, um, what am I thinking? You don't get that, the, 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 the grace treatment. to make mistakes okay. you know you don't yeah. get the oh yeah you the new guy you, you you the new person you didn't know that or you you become no you should know this by now yeah which mm-hmm. in which in which in turn breeds another type of imposter syndrome because you have expectations right. but if i don't meet my expectations and everybody gonna think i'm not supposed to be here so it's a cycle man you know everything yeah. that you mentioned every, everything that you said in your experience man i have i, I think that's just what i'm what i'm coming what i what i'm coming to understand is that's just a part of the growth you know, when you're yeah. in an industry, when you're in a room of like minds where you're all going for either the same thing, working towards the same thing, or even in the same realm, you know, especially when you compare, when you compare, you know, talent and ability and skill sets, that's all oh, yeah. that also weighs against you too. You know, um, the 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 thick skin, being able to accept criticism, you know, when somebody yeah. tells you, you know, you didn't quite hit the nail on hit the nail on the head or you missed a mark or you, what you did was just totally abysmal. You know, you mm-hmm. have to be able to accept that criticism and be able to continue going on. Um, and I think that's that's in that, um, you know, kind of in that uh, icky guy space where you where you're strong enough and your foundations to be able to accept that, you know, and remember yeah. why you're there. Remember what you're doing it for. Remember why you're connected to whatever it is you're pursuing. So. Um, thank yeah. you for sharing that. Um, it's, it's really right. interesting to hear in a freelance, you know, outside of a corporate space to know that it's because it's but when you when you'd all chalk it up, it's humans. Mm-hmm. It's all people yeah. at the end of the day. And we and apparently we all exhibit the same type of behavior, regardless of where mm-hmm. you're in, you know, whether you whether you're the new person or whether you're the old guard. It's the same. Yeah. It seems like it's the same we go through the same exercises, the same phases is what I want to say, the same levels of growth. That was, I really appreciate that. Um, that's, I, I really appreciate it. That, thank you for that. Yeah, no, right. So What's on your mind, you like, you wanted oh. to say something. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, baby. Like, Malik, no, it's okay. Go ahead, Malik. Uh, oh, and I was about to say, like, it is absolutely terrible in music because I remember my first, it wasn't my first experience with it, but it was the first time I noticed that it was, it was very blatant. Um, it was, I think it was County Honor Band from Fulton County. We already had the auditions and, you know, we already, um, yeah, we already finished the auditions. Everybody that auditioned out of us, I think 10 of us auditioned, we all made County. Cool. So we find out that the that the two next two days we're going to spend uh, performing at I think it was Centennial High School, like North Fulton County. We walk in there, and then, and the I, I guess in like Northern Fulton County, since you know they they look at us from Tri Cities, like we're those. I'm gonna just say dancing machines. <laughs> like we're like we're, we're those uh, those dancing machines or those those guys that just do whatever. I don't know what exactly they say about us up there, but it was so crazy because they'll ask us like, "Oh, what high school are you guys from?" Oh, we're from Tri Cities, and then they will give like the like the, the blankest stare. Their faces would turn white, well, whiter than white in most cases. And then they're like, "Oh, so that's where you're from? Oh, okay." And then it, it was, it was crazy. And then they tried to hit us with like different types of musical vocabulary, like we didn't know anything. It was like it was like they were start. It was almost as if someone start speaking Spanish thinking that you don't know any Spanish and then what like in the movie where they speak the foreign language and then the main uh, protagonist says the, the same language too and they're like oh my gosh he said that that's exactly what that was during those two years like going to Centennial High they have kids from Malfaretta High uh, Milton Johns Creek and they are just constantly trying to like they're they're throwing passive aggressive jabs at you because you're 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 the you're those dancing machines down there at Tri-Cities, like pretty much they, you, they make you think that you're on the other side of the Mississippi somewhere in Texas and then they're in Florida. But it was just like they gave off a, a energy or a vibe like, wait a minute, like you these these guys are supposed to be here. And we were like the only black people in that entire 
like 50 piece, maybe 60 piece band orchestra that had everybody else was white. I think he said maybe like one Hispanic at that time, but it was, it was crazy. But we had, what we decided to do was we decided to fraternize a little bit just to kind of get over, you know, cause we were only there for like three days. But then they got upset that we started fraternizing. Like they started trying to come in like circles, trying to figure out what we were talking about. And they make, they would try to make it seem like, you know, well, we're trying to like all be together. But in reality, it was kind of like, okay, we can't have these people in this corner in the cafeteria just minding their own business. We got to go in, see what they're doing, see how these dancing machines talk, what's their lingo, what, like what, what takes them off. And all this is going on within the span of two days. <laughs> so, so by the time, by the time the performance is over, I think it was like a Saturday night. We all, we're about to get on the bus and then they're all trying to, you know, high five us, talk about, oh, how great we sounded and we did this. And we're just looking at them like, I think one of us actually gave a middle finger before we went onto the bus and went back down to Tri-Cities. We, we had enough of those people, but it, it was, it was very blatant. <laughs> I, I, I know that musicians can be extremely oh, yeah. catty and brutal and, um, yeah, it, it takes so much courage to to get up there and perform like that in front of people. And um, yeah, there was probably some microaggressions going on. You know, when you're mm-hmm. when you're going from like the south end of the county to the north end of the county, like they, you're right, like they just thought yeah. maybe you could play because awesome. you're black, you know, but you didn't really know any terminology or, you know, you if they if they threw some musical terminology at you, you wouldn't know what it was. You know, almost like you just prepared by right. I don't know, just standing in the music playing your instrument. And so yeah. um, so yeah, I, I I fully understand that. And I yeah, I don't teaching is kind of like it's that so too. funny. I feel like art, even if you know the technical details, it doesn't even matter at the end of the day. It matters how you play or how you use whatever you're doing, like the medium. It doesn't like even if you didn't know the technical terms for certain things, it wouldn't have mattered because the moment you stand on that stage and you start performing way better than them, you're going to shut their mouth. Um, that happens a lot in photography. A lot of the people who talk technical terms, they think they're the greatest, but at the end of the day, they're not booking or doing certain things as well. Yeah, I know so many photographers that don't know any technical thing things or lighting at the end of the day that client's going to hire whoever they need for that person to capture what they need as well so it goes to show like it's it's not necessary yeah and what they what they used to do though was like they used to if they couldn't get to you with the technical terms they started going at your tax bracket like they started talking about like these new model (laughs) instruments that they bought that wasn't given to them by the school or because um, cause I think they were like, oh, yeah, we got these like $3,000 wooden instruments. I had a wooden instrument, but that was given to me by the school. So, I mean, it was, it was a pretty darn good one, too. So I'm thankful for that. But yeah. they were like, oh, and then we get these tutors. And then they were and I'm looking like, OK, there's 25 clarinets in this section. Tell me why with all the tutoring you get. I'm number six and you're all the way at 24. You're talking about all this money you spent and where has it gotten you? You're still behind and you're trying to use this tax bracket to still make it, once again, make it seem like me along with any of my other, um, any of my other peers don't belong here, but meanwhile, we're like first, first chairs in this section, then you got a, uh, a third and this 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 is out of like 15 plus people so it's not like you're a third out of five you're a third out of 25 30 and meanwhile they're still just it's like oh yeah we're rich and y'all a bunch of broke you know blank blank blanks and we're like well well <laughs> well you know one of the things i think you just you know touched on was the fact that hard work is going to be talent mm-hmm. and money any day of the week hard work when you're willing to get in there and grind and 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 do what you have to do you know um you know you you mentioned the technical terms you know I'm a team leader you know some of my strongest technicians they weren't formally schooled but they could fix just about anything 
any issue you throw their way, you know, um, I'm fully confident that they that they're going to take care of it. So I have some I have some ex, some some exceptional team members that are um, fantastic um, technicians. Like I said, they can fix just about any computer phone um, network issue you could throw at them. But, you know, if you you know, but they don't really they're not really into into the terminology. They know the equipment, but they don't know like the, the back end, the development, not the development terminology. But they can speak it to you enough that you know exactly what they're talking about. But it's their experience. It's their, their ability to work hard and to stay persistent and to learn. You know, it's once you stop learning, when you, once you think you're too good to learn, that's when you fall apart. That's when your competition is going to outshine you every day when you forsake your craft. And that's what, you know, that's why my, my team, I, I have no issues with giving them anything because I know that through their experience, through their persistence and diligence, they're going to knock it out. If they don't know it, they're going to learn it. You know, or they're going to let me know that I need to get the resources so we can, you know, get that, you know, get that skill set on the team. And so, you know, um, that was a really good, um, really good illustration, um, Malik, about, you know, um, doing the work, yeah. you know, practicing the craft, not getting caught up in the you can you can you, you know, I know people that can say a whole lot of words, but not say nothing. They could drop a whole lot of technical terms and mean absolutely. And I still don't know what they were talking about. Um, but then you have someone who can come and speak it to you in straightforward terms, but they can, they can fix anything. They can play anything. They can, you know, whatever it is in their space there, they got it, you know, because they spent more time doing the work instead of doing the part instead of looking the part. So, um, and I think that was a testament to that, you know, to that story that you said that that you told it because you, you all spent more time grinding and practicing that when it came time to shine, they couldn't help but recognize it. Yeah. And so that's why they were trying to get in your circle because they slowly but surely started to see your talent mm-hmm. and they were trying to glean whatever, whatever mojo y'all had on them. Yeah, you got to stay hungry. It's almost oh, yeah. like even when you're winning, you still got to keep that same desire. You got to have that same hunger that you had when you first started, you know, and one of the things that that you're talking about babe, is this idea that when you have become excellent at what you do, you still have to learn more because there's always something new out there. There's always a new skill. There's always some new equipment. There's always some new theory, whatever your area is, right? Like it could be your passion but you've got to be a student of it. You've got to be a scholar of whatever that field is like, cause there's always somebody out there that's more hungry, that's, that's hungrier, that's ready to take your spot. And so that would be, you know, what I want to close with tonight, just stay hungry. Like whatever that passion is, just make sure that you keep grinding. Like don't fall asleep behind the wheel. If you are winning, right? It's the result of all the decisions that you made prior to that. If you're going to keep winning, you've got to make some decisions right now to stay hungry, keep focused, keep learning, keep growing, because there's always somebody out there trying to take your spot. And, um, you know, as we say in the fight world, you know, when you're the champion, you train like you're the challenger. That's good. You train like you're the challenger. You train like you're still fighting for your title, because in essence, you are. You might have won it, but you got to keep it. You know, so when you're at, when you're on the top, you, you keep going like you're at the bottom. And you and there'll never be a level you can't reach because you're always grinding. You're always learning. You're always trying to become better. And that's what, again, that's what separates champions from challenges. Because the champion has always got their eyes on the prize and they're always and they want to remain champions. So they stay sharp. So keep grinding. Well, gentlemen, before we close out tonight, tell us, tell our, our listeners and our viewers, if you're on YouTube or on Facebook Live, tell them how they can find you on social media. Um, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, it's at randytran.photography. If you want to see my work and you can drop an email or something, my email address is there as well. If you have questions. Thank you. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram as well. It is music with a Q, double, <laughs> double underscore lifestyle pretty soon i will be posting some musical content at first when i first just made the new instagram it was just a bunch of like photos of like just random stuff like stuffed animals and stuff but (laughs) just to put stuff on there but i I will be 
posting some musical content on there. You guys get to see me play my instrument for the first time ever, if you haven't already done so. So look forward to it. We are looking forward to it. So this has been another episode of In It Together with the Dunlaps. I'm Shakima. I'm Deontay. And and the we are the Dunlabs. That is us. Yep. So we'll see you here next week at the same time, Tuesday night, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. We stream live on Facebook. And then after the party, we'll get to the